Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. This summer, ALA President Julius C. Jefferson Jr. took a cross-country trip across the U.S., virtually, to visit libraries and learn from their staff, stakeholders, public officials, and more. Titled Holding Space, this tour paid particular attention to small, rural, and tribal libraries to learn how they're serving their communities and about their wants and needs. Today, on the Dewey Decibel Podcast, we look at how two small and rural libraries from that tour are addressing the specific needs of their patrons and communities. First, I speak with Julius Jefferson about the inspiration for that tour, followed by conversations with Corey Christians, he's director of Yavapai County Free Library District in Arizona, and Stacey Russell, interim executive director of Muskegon County Library System in Ohio. And stick around after the show for information about a new grant available from ALA for small and rural libraries. But first, a word from a sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com DISC ALA, Call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote. You could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easier for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C ALA Call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Also, until October 7th, you can save an extra 15% on your car insurance with a GEICO Give Back offer. ALA President Julius C. Jefferson Jr.'s Holding Space Tour stopped at more than a dozen libraries this summer, from Ohio to Hawaii. Virtually, of course. I spoke with Jefferson briefly about the inspiration for this tour and what he learned along the way. Um, Julius, um, what inspired you to conduct this holding space tour of yours? I know it was supposed to be a a cross-country tour at first, but then uh, it was was held digitally because of the pandemic. Uh, What what inspired you? What was your initial inspiration for this? Well, uh, Phil, honestly, I I was inspired by something that happened uh, many, many years ago at ALA. Um, And back in 91, there was this idea that there would be um, a, a tour a caravan on wheels. It was called Rally for America's Libraries, Caravan on Wheels. And um, this was supposed to be a, a demonstration that traveled from Atlanta, where there was a, a meeting, midwinter meeting, uh, to Washington, D.C., um, and encouraged library workers to tell their stories to the local media, sort of a media campaign 
advocacy media campaign. And it uh, happened many, many years ago, um, but I read about it. So I wasn't, I wasn't a librarian when it happened, um, but I, I read about it and I was inspired by it. And I, and I always wanted to actually go across country by bus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I, I, I still want to do, of course. Didn't get a chance to do that this time. But the idea of going, uh, actually getting on a bus and going to those places uh, in the middle of the country that I would never, ever visit, um, places that we call flyover states, um, but actually seeing how people live. I mean, I thought that was the best way to really understand uh, our country. Um, but they have the opportunity to, to go across country by bus and visit libraries and learn about um, the, the diverse services and, and communities that these libraries serve um, was in the forefront of, of my mind. I wanted to provide a voice for those communities that are considered underrepresented or under-resourced or underserved, right? Those, those libraries and those communities that we don't really hear from uh, uh, very often. Um, and those, those individuals who are part of those communities and those library workers who may not be able to connect um, with the American Library Association at, at, at our meeting. And um, since it's been a couple of weeks since you wrapped up your last stop um, virtually at uh, the library in Hawaii, um, what's, what, what's your takeaway from, from the experience? What did you learn from all these different types of libraries? Yeah, it, first of all, I just want to say that the libraries across the country are just doing amazing work, the amazing work of serving the needs of their communities. I was, it was unbelievable, um, all the different individuals that we met and, and all the different individuals that were touched by the work of libraries. So that, that's the first thing. But one of the things I learned is just how essential uh, libraries are to the infrastructure of their communities uh, in the areas of, let's say, workforce development, innovation, leadership, and just building uh, a space for the community. Um, that really floored me because we saw many, many different examples of that. But even beyond that, um, one of the things I, I want to take away was just how resourceful and committed library workers are. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many communities uh, that we visit are significantly challenged. They're under-resourced. They, they're without basic access to information in some respects uh, as we are in the digital age. And um, it was it was fascinating just to see how libraries are able to collaborate with their partners in the community to find ways to remain essential, useful institutions and serve um, their, their communities. But um, but the, the thing that I take away most, Phil, is that, that these libraries need our help. And that's why we went on this tour. Um, the stories that we heard from those on the ground um, are, are stories that um, we know uh, can benefit from library services. Uh, and, and we know that these stories are our best advocacy tool moving forward. So um, just know, Phil, that in the final analysis, I thought about it and and I, I thought that, you know, of course, all I, you hear me say this quite a bit. I'll say this frequently, all politics is local. But the change uh, comes to Washington by way of our communities. Uh, and that begins with the stories of success and hardship um, that we heard from the road.
As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the A-L-A. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Also, until October 7th, you can save an extra 15% on your car insurance with a GEICO Give Back offer. Yavapai County sits in the middle of Arizona, about 100 miles or so north of Phoenix. It's a heavily rural area, and the 15 small libraries in Yavapai County Free Library District provide more than just books and materials for the community. They serve as a lifeline for many. I spoke with Corey Christians, director of Yavapai County Free Library District, about their mission, the needs of small libraries, and more. Um, now you were you were one of the participants in in ALA President Julie Jeff, Julius Jefferson's um, virtual tour across the U.S. and um, uh, where we discussed some of the needs and concerns of small and rural libraries today. Um, now, in your opinion, what are some of the most pressing concerns for the small and rural library community? Yeah, I think uh, it. Uh, Depending on the the area that you're at and the resources you have available, of course, for rural libraries and small libraries, those can uh, shift. Um, I'd say for us in particular, given that you know, some of our communities are 250 people, it can be difficult to provide uh, quality service finding uh, with finding qualified trained staff. Um, there aren't a lot of master degree librarians that um, would work in a community that's 250 people unless they're there specifically to live uh, in that community. So it can be difficult to find uh, properly trained and educated staff. Um, it can be difficult to maintain a dynamic collection of materials when some of your facilities may only have uh, a thousand books or 10,000 books uh, or materials, I should, I should say more than books there. Uh, also having access to broadband can be difficult. Um, funding, there can be funding issues. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, one of the biggest challenges I have is fighting misinformation about the relevance of, of uh, libraries. You know, they all think uh, they're, they're going to go the way of the dodo bird, as, as one of my bosses would say, uh, because of the internet. So th those are probably some of the biggest challenges uh, I, I face. Um, now, 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 kind of piggybacking on that from misinformation you just you mentioned here, um, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about small and rural libraries? I think one of the biggest things is that they don't offer very many resources. Uh, they figure that since there's one staff person there, it may be open 15 hours a week or 30 hours a week, depending on the library. 
that there's just not much they can uh, offer. Whereas in reality, because we're a library district, we're purchasing lots of materials across the district, lots of virtual materials, overdrive materials, um, other e-resources. We're working with other libraries in the county to even provide additional resources on top of that. So some people may think that their local rural library doesn't have a lot to offer when in reality they can offer the same things as some of the large municipal libraries can. I think given that we're a retirement community, uh, for the most part can have several retirement communities, that there are only uh, retired, some of our elderly population that use the library and kids don't really like to read anymore. Uh, when in reality, some of our programs, like in Cordes Lakes, where the, the event you previously mentioned was that, uh, we had a community that, that for itself is a, is a pretty small community with a 2,400 population, 1,000 registered patrons, and there were 150 people at that, at our May 4th Star Wars event last year. So it's not just the adults that like to use the libraries, the kids are using it now more than ever as well. I think I think another common misconception is that libraries are just about books. You know, what what else can you do at library but check out books? Um some people are just realizing we have audiobooks. <laughs> so so I mean you you go on top of that and you talk about all the online resources, everything that's available there, some of the community programs that we can do notaries. I mean all all the we can help them with their development services. Um uh, applications that they're putting in for their homes, all these different pieces are what a, a modern rural library can can handle. Yeah, you really um you really have to fill a lot of different roles in a community that size. Yeah. Even even in these rural libraries, in some of these places we're the only uh entity that can provide any kind of community service at all or government service. So for instance in some of our places like Seligman or Ashfork if they don't get documents notarized there, they have to travel two hours, you know, round trip to go get a single document notarized. So it's very helpful that, that libraries can provide that service. Um, now, the, uh, amongst the 15 libraries in the, um, in the Free Library District, um, since they are, you are serving, um, you're, like, like, like you just mentioned, you're fulfilling such a wide variety of roles. Do you see a lot of collaboration amongst the libraries on um, different programs and other services for the community? Yeah, actually, in, in Yavapai County, we've kind of excelled at this for for several decades now. We, we have a consortium of libraries throughout the county called the Yavapai Library Network, and currently there are 52 libraries that are a part of that just within Yavapai County. This includes academic, uh, public, archival, private, public, school, special libraries all working together throughout the county. As a matter of fact, we have the largest multi-type library consortium in the state. So we're constantly collaborating on whether it's having a union catalog of over 2 million items that anybody can access. The library district has a courier service where these items can be delivered between libraries. So you could be in Crown King with a very small collection, but you can have access to all two million of those items that can be delivered right to the library. Uh, we also have lists. We have uh, user groups where people talk about what they're doing programming-wise. We just implemented a 
a uh, county-wide events calendar that we've been trying to do for the better part of a decade, but no, li- but no product was available for it to happen. So library calendar uh, just became available, and we've been working with with that group to implement a countywide calendar so people can see what's going on throughout the county and make decisions where they want to go, not just within the library, but what parades are going on and, and other types of events as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're all experiencing this, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic at the moment, uh, libraries across the country, people across the country and the world. How has it affected your library and community? Um, have you had to close your branches? And so how, how, for how long are, are, are these branches still closed? How, how has the, the pandemic affected you? Well, this, this is actually a, somewhat of a, I mean, it's obviously an interesting question, no matter which library you, uh, you ask it of. Uh, but it was uh, we, we really started seeing a, a problem in thinking about it around spring break. I think, like most um, libraries did in states throughout the the country. Uh, I also serve on the Humboldt Unified School District Governing Board, so we were of course concerned about the students coming back after spring break because they've been all around the world, all around the country, and what were they going to bring back with them uh, once that happened? So we started really getting concerned throughout our communities because that was happening. And these families, of course, are not just going to go to schools. They're going to go to the libraries, too. They're going to go to the grocery store. They're going to go other places. And what would the impact be of that? So we were dealing with an incredible number of unknowns at the time in trying to figure out how to best uh, address the problem. I think, thankfully, we made the decision to shut down the schools throughout the county and serve the students virtually, which I think mitigated a lot of that problem. Um, but the libraries, of course, followed with providing only virtual services within the library district, and some of our other libraries did the same thing. And then I want to say in about June, we kind of opened up a little bit more, uh, started offering curbside service, started offering library use by appointment, and that that has helped. But we still, of course, don't offer non-virtual programming and we don't have our community rooms open to the public, which is a service challenge. Yeah, I imagine so, especially considering how uh, dependent some members of the community are on the library. That must be an incredible challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in rural libraries, as I mentioned before, there some of our communities, the only place to meet is at the library. Mm-hmm. So if that space isn't available, the, the community has to find an alternative uh, way to meet or not meet at all. Some of our friends groups haven't met since the uh, the pandemic really hit us. Wow. Um, now, for any of our listeners out there who might be who might you know, be employees or, or administrators at a small or rural library, and they they might be uh, inspired by by some of the things that you've mentioned here today, some of the consortium work or, or just the collaboration. Uh, amongst your libraries. Do you have any words of advice for any of these uh, smaller libraries or libraries uh, looking to maybe replicate some of these things? Yeah, I I can tell you one of the things that has really made it so that we've been able to handle the pandemic pretty gracefully is our understanding of our communities, our ability to work together, the, the fact that the school superintendent's office, the libraries, the county, the municipalities, they, they all started looking to each other to see how they can lean on each other to help 
get through this, not only with uh, just with, you know, support as far as advice, but also with financial support. And working together made made such a huge difference. The number of services we could offer because all the municipal libraries, academic libraries, school libraries are all working together was was much greater than if we would have tried to go that alone and resolve these issues uh, by ourselves. Look for those partnerships. Find those partnerships. You may find them in strange places, uh, but anything you can do to help provide service when you can't provide service in an area that you're used to is is especially uh, helpful. So so be open to those ideas. Um, get out and, and join some of these organizations. It might change the way you think about how you can provide service and come up with some new and innovative ways. Uh, for instance, being part of the school board has helped feed some of my uh, ideation for how we can solve some of these problems with the library district. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't have thought of some of these other uh, other ways. So uh, look for those partnerships, work with other people in the community. It's a great low-cost way to help solve some problems. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the A-L-A. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Also, until October 7th, you can save an extra 15% on your car insurance with a GEICO Give Back offer. Muskegon County, Ohio, sits at the center of the state, about an hour east from Columbus, the state capital. Muskegon County Library District consists of six mid-sized branches that serve the rural county. These libraries provide vital services, especially for those in the area without internet access. I spoke with Stacy Russell, Interim Executive Director of the Library, about the library's efforts to help bridge the digital divide in Muskegon County and more. Muskegon County's Zanesville branch was one of the stops on Julius Jefferson's Holding Space Tour, and you discussed how your library is helping to bridge the digital divide in some of the rural communities there. Can you tell our listeners about how your library is helping to do that? Sure. Well, just for some context, um, about over 30% of the residents of Muskegon County do not have internet access. It's either not available or it's not affordable to them. Um, so that is a, a real issue as uh, a library system for us and how we serve our constituents, especially during the pandemic. 
So um, a lot of the things that we've done, um, many libraries did during the pandemic, some of those we were actually doing before because we knew that we had connectivity issues in our service area. So we have uh, public Wi-Fi and uh, that has been pushed out into our green spaces uh, since somewhere, depending on the location, between 2017 and 2018, we worked to expand that into our green spaces outside of our libraries, the Wi-Fi. And, uh, Actually, in the city of Zanesville, you can almost go a block from our library and still get Internet access through our Wi-Fi. Okay. Uh, we also, because of the connectivity, circulate Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, and we recently, because of the pandemic, uh, increased the amount of hotspots we had available for checkout by about 600%. Um, those hotspots circulate for about two weeks. Uh, one of the big issues that we have, um, and that I talked about with Julius on his uh, tour, was many of our areas don't have connectivity because of the landscape, um, rolling hills, uh, just no access. And if they do have access, it's via satellite. And I think we all know satellite uh, internet access can be a little bit uh, sketchy depending on the weather. Uh, if it rains, you don't always have access to satellite or a uh, cloudy day. Sometimes they don't have as great a reliable access. It also becomes an affordability issue for many of our library customers. So to kind of bridge the digital divide uh, besides the expanded Wi-Fi access, and our Wi-Fi access is pretty much since we started using Wi-Fi, we've had it available 24-7. So I know many libraries during the pandemic were uh, keeping their Wi-Fi on longer. Ours had always been on like that, and we've never really had any issues like that. So that was one of the things that we did. I think probably one of the most unique things we did um, to still serve our constituents during the pandemic, knowing that many of them didn't have access to uh, Wi-Fi, was our um, marketing and PR uh, director had the idea to work with our local TV and radio station to broadcast radio story time. Oh, wow. So we actually recorded story times and broadcasted them five days a week for about nine weeks. Uh, through two local radio stations, and uh, that was something that was pretty great for us. I, you know, I heard a couple people talk about the nostalgia of listening to a radio to listen to a story um, from when they were younger, grandparents and things like that. Uh, we had an estimate, estimated reach of around 350 people or families per night, so that was something that was pretty spectacular for us. That's that's incredible, and. Um, uh, you, how else has the has the um the pandemic impacted your library and community um are are you are you open to to the public right now we are open to the public um very reduced hours compared to what we were we were open before um previously we were open over 60 hours a week and right now we are open 20 hours a week though next week we will add an additional 9 hours at each location um, just trying to make sure that we are serving the public. Um, one of the other ways that we, during the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders, uh, we partnered with school districts. Uh, they had some students that were taking an advanced placement classes, and they needed to finish those classes and take the AP test so that they could get their credit. And we provided hotspots to some school districts to use so those AP students could uh, finish their year. So... We've also used the federal E-rate program to double our internet speed at our branches, which will impact their Wi-Fi access. 
So um, I think probably what's happened at many libraries is, uh, you know, during the stay-at-home order for Ohio, we were closed for about 10 weeks. Uh, most of our staff was working remotely. Uh, we did have some staff in and out of the building, but that lasted about six to eight weeks where we had staff working remotely. Um, I think the biggest pivot for us probably was no more in-person programming, and almost mm -hmm. all of it is virtual right now. And I know libraries across the United States and the world really are dealing with that now. And I guess one of the other biggest impacts for us has been um, funding and the uncertainty of how it will um, continue for the next year or so. Um, we were partially funded by the state of Ohio. Um, about 51% of our funding comes from the state of Ohio. And it's down some this year, not down as much as we thought it would be in March or April. But we know that there are lingering impacts to um, state funding for the next year at least, maybe longer. Uh, Stacey, do you have any um, any uh, anecdotes or, or personal stories from members of the community um, about how they've used um, some of the services, particularly some of the, the internet services provided by your library? Sure, Phil. I have a really great one. If you don't mind, I'll read it. It's actually from a library customer who wrote us a letter. Oh, certainly. Um, to whom it may concern, I am a resident of Muskingum County. I live in Duncan Falls, where our library is within five miles of our home. Where we live, we have little to no internet access. During this pandemic, it has been especially hard having three children, two in college and one junior high student, trying to do schoolwork from home. They were receiving texts or emails containing assignments at our home, and it is almost impossible to actually open those. We had to stop by the library parking lot long enough to use the free Wi-Fi to send and receive assignments. During the pandemic, my children were sometimes be at the library at 7 a.m. and as late as 11 p.m. to send assignments or participate in Zoom meetings. My girls would sit in the parking lot for sometimes four hours at a time to complete and send their homework. Having a library with accessible and reliable internet has been a true lifeline for my children, along with many others. Without the Duncan Falls Library branch, they would not have been able to finish their school year. Living in a rural area, we rely on the library to do everyday tasks that have to be done on the internet. In this day and age, schools operate via e internet and emails to receive assignments and communicate daily. Open or closed, day or night, the library is an essential need to our entire community to succeed in helping our children and communities grow. The families in this community are very thankful that we have a library with Wi-Fi available to us at any hour of the day or night. That's one of my favorite stories, and we have many, many of those, but it is really one of my favorites and really shows the impact that we can have. Um, now for some of our, our listeners who, who might be at you know, smaller libraries or, or even mid-sized larger libraries, who do have a reach into rural communities and that might want to replicate some of the, the program that you've done, uh, particularly with trying to, to bra uh, bridge that digital divide. Do you have any, any words of advice for them or, or any places where they should start? I would suggest that they try and start with some of their um, local communities, their cities or counties, and seeing if they can partner with them to use some of their CARES money. I know in Ohio we are receiving some CARES money, but also our, the city of Zanesville has reached out to us um, to talk about how we can partner to uh, mitigate some effects, especially with the digital divide of COVID, and how we can um, serve customers and using some of their CARES money even. So that would be one of the first places I would start. And I think, you know, 
digital divide aside, librarians, uh, they share information so freely among each other. That's one of the wonderful things about this profession. Mm-hmm. And um, they can always reach out to other libraries for ideas. And I know that on the listservs that I'm on, I see all kinds of ideas floating around out there and ways to reach patrons and, and work on that digital divide. You know, in our community, it's really important for telehealth. Um, we've also done some a lot of technology support uh, virtually. We had a customer call who um, they both had health issues, so they were pretty much stuck at home and forced to do a lot of things online they were not used to, and their printer died. So they did get a new printer ordered, but they had trouble setting it up, and we were able to connect with them and help them set up their printer. So I think it's just trying to think of... Think of the way you offered in-person services differently and what you can do to help people. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Many thanks to Julia C. Jefferson, Jr., Corey Christians, and Stacey Russell for talking with us today about small and rural libraries. Are you a library worker in a small or rural community? If so, you may be eligible for funding through a new ALA initiative, Libraries Transforming Communities, focused on small and rural libraries. ALA will give out nearly $2 million in grants to help small and rural libraries meet community needs. Applications will open in late September. To learn more, visit ALA.org LTC. That's LTC for Libraries Transforming Communities. Again, ALA.org LTC. And coming soon from Dewey Decibel, join us next month for a very special episode. That's right, it's October, which means it's time for Halloween. What tricks do we have up our sleeve this year? Tune in to find out. Until then, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. (laughs) 